Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey there. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. You know, as always, I say this every week, I feel like, but I really do mean it. I'm so thankful that you're listening. And we're continuing today looking at our promises kind of throughout the Bible. Every book a promise. So today we're in the Old Testament. We're in the book of Judges. And what we're going to find here in this book of the Bible is actually suitable to apply to our everyday lives, as in like right here and right now, even though the events that took place in the book of Judges happened thousands of years ago, we can still apply it today. Isn't that great that God's word is so helpful for us today, right now? It's not dusty and crusty and um, outdated. It's very much applicable for us today, here and now. Praise God for that. You're listening to the Burt Not Ernie Show, part of the Spark Network, now playing in the Edify app. This is episode number 157. Alrighty, so first off, before I start on today's promises from the Book of Judges, I have to make a correction um, what do they call it in the newspaper business? A redaction? I have to make a correction to the last episode when I talked about the book of Joshua. I completely misspoke. Uh, I was wrong when I mentioned certain aspects of biblical womanhood that could be found in the book of Joshua. The references I was thinking of are actually found in the book of Judges. So one book forward in the Bible, not Joshua, but Judges. And you know, it's uh, this is like when a paper runs in misprint, they have to have a correction or redaction. I guess this is my correction of my misprint or my misspeak, you might say. Totally my mistake. I was thinking the story of JL was one book earlier than it actually is. Uh, completely my bad. I really feel terrible that I misquoted the word of God. So uh, please give me grace if you don't mind, accept my correction. And if you looked for that story and couldn't find it, that's because I told you the wrong thing. I never want to share anything unbiblical. So um, the corrected info is that you can read about biblical womanhood, Deborah and Jael in the book of Judges, specifically in chapter four. Alrighty, back to today's um, subject matter. In this episode, we're going to take a look at a few verses from chapter six of the book of Judges. We're going to start with verse 14. So Judges six fourteen. Then I think we're going to bounce down to verse 24, probably just the first part of that verse, and then down to verse 34. In the NLT, Judges 6.14 reads this way. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Okay, so this is a true story. The life of Gideon is remarkable. He was called to a huge task, like a bigger than him kind of assignment. And who called him? The Lord called him. The Lord said to Gideon, go in the strength that you have. He told Gideon to go in the strength he had and to do what? To rescue Israel from their oppressors. God ends this verse by saying, I am sending you. Have you ever had a moment like this? Like 
in any way, shape or form like this, not this exact kind of moment. I know that you have not been sent to rescue the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites. I know that. But I mean, a moment like this, similar to this in, in some facet, where you you feel like the thing that God is telling you to do, it's just so big. Gideon was one man from a very small tribe in Israel who was kind of like he was oppressed and he had lived under this oppression. And, and it seems as if he had some fear in his life. And yet he's the one that God calls to take on the enemy who's doing the oppressing. And it was some intense oppression they were going through. Have you ever had that sense that God is calling you, telling you to do something? It's just so big. How can you be the one to do it? Like you're scratching your head and thinking, wait, did you like, did you get the right address, God? Because me? You're serious about little me? I'm like puny. What? How can you get this thing that God is calling you to do that's so big? How can you get this thing across the starting line, let alone get it across the finish line? You know, you may want to tell God, um, you know, like, no, ever been there? You just want to say no. Uh, You may want him to tell you that he's sending you all sorts of, of help. Lots of folks are going to come and help you out, like right from the get go. You either want to tell him no, or you want him to tell you right up front, like, I'm going to send you this and this and this, everything that you need, all these people. Um, Maybe you want him to give you some kind of like power or ability to do this work. Like, give me what I need up front, or maybe to just do something different, right? Other than tell you to go in the strength you have. Maybe you just want him to do anything. That's different than that. Tell me something or do something different than telling me to go to go in the strength I have, Lord, because, man, I know at times my strength, it can seem like it's so minimal, like minuscule, minute. How can I do anything for the Lord? Anybody else ever feel that way? If so, then I think you can kind of put your place yourself in the place of Gideon in the story. Place yourself in Gideon's story and recognize that uh, he was human and fallible and God used him mightily. You and I are very human, and God may well call us to do things that seem just impossible. What are we going to do? Are we going to respond like Gideon, or are we going to just kind of like find a hidey hole and refuse to listen to or heed the Lord? Which, by the way, is disobedience and uh, and even delayed obedience, I found to be in my life, is, is a form of disobedience. So what are we going to do when God says to you, go in the strength you have, Here he firmly tells Gideon, I am sending you. The go is kind of reiterated here. Go in the strength that you have. I am sending you. Go, Gideon. Go. When God tells us to go, do we go? Or do we delay and dawdle or just not go? Just for your own personal thought, personal reflection moment here, do you go or do you sort of hang tight, hold off for a bit, maybe even slow, slow, slowly go? Like you're you're going to choose to be slow about going when you know the Lord means for you to go right away and to obey him immediately. In my life, I really have found that when I obey the Lord and go when he says to get moving on something, he takes my small strength and he blesses me and the work that I'm doing for him at his leading, at his call. He gives me what I need to accomplish his will. But I have had to get started at times. I literally have had to get started at times before I could find out that he was going to supply what I needed as I needed it. I'm not sure if that's encouraging at all to you, but it has been true for me 
at different times in my life. And it may be true for you that once you get going in the strength you have, you find him giving you everything that you need each step of the way. Does he always give us everything we need for the whole process on day one? No, but he gives us grace for each day. Daily manna, he really does provide daily. Um, and, you know, and as Jesus said, uh, sufficient the day is the evil therein. Like, the, to, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own problems. There's enough to worry about then. Just how about today? If we can live in a, how about just today, Lord, kind of a place in our thinking, because it's our thinking that gets ahead of us, right? Like, we, whoa, what's down the road? What's around the corner? I'm not ready for this. I've got this coming up. Okay, what about just today? Are you are you living in today and are you doing what you need to do today? Of course, there are some aspects of tomorrow we have to be thinking about, but you you know what I'm saying here. You get the differentiation I'm making. Sometimes we're so worried about everything that's coming with this God-sized request that we don't ever really do today's work well. And maybe we don't do any of the task well because we're just so stressed out about how am I going to get this done? How about just today? Don't worry too much about, you know, tomorrow's evil to kind of paraphrase Jesus's words. How about today? There's enough hard stuff in today. Don't get so wrapped around the axle about all the coming days. Okay, verse 24, part A, the first part of that verse says, And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. You know, as my husband often says, uh, Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. What a blessing to speak over someone. Peace with nothing missing and nothing broken. This is where we read this name for God in the Bible. And it's always interesting to me the first time we see God um, given a specific name. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. He wants to be your peace. You know, this, this goes hand in glove with what Jesus said when he said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Nobody can take that from you. You can give it away. You can lay it down. You can forfeit it. You can not apply it to your life, not appropriate it, but nobody can take it from you because Jesus gives it to you. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. So between verse 14 and verse 24, what happened exactly to take Gideon from like a, uh, wait, what? To, uh, he's naming this altar. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Like because when you're scratching your head and going, I don't know, wait, are you talking to me? Like I I'm like nothing. I can't do that. It sounds like when we read Judges 6, it sounds like Gideon was pretty far removed from peace back there in verse 14. You know what I mean? Like peace was not a watchword in his life. And now in verse 24, he's speaking out loud that the Lord is peace. One point to make here, a side note, a rabbit trail. The Lord is your peace. The longer that I live, the more things I see that are just gut-wrenchingly heartbreaking in the world around me. The more I see people struggling with things, people that don't know the Lord and people that love the Lord, people that are walking closely with him and people that don't want anything to do with him. Peace 
is a differentiator in people's lives. And the longer I live, the more I know this to be true. Outside of the Lord, I'm talking about outside of Jesus, there's not actual peace. There is no real and lasting peace. You might feel like you have a peaceful moment. Some people, let's be honest, they they go to the bar, they drink too much. It's Friday as I record this. They're going to pick up their case of whatever and uh, they're going to come home and they're going to drink their way through the weekend and they're going to consider that peace. It's going to give them like a few moments of peace. That is not the kind of peace that Jesus offers, but peace, I'm telling you what, people are looking for it because they need it. It's an actual need. That's why Jesus said he would give it to us. He meets that need fully. We have to believe for it and we can live in it, but people that are going through the hardest things you can imagine that still have the peace of Jesus, does that not make you just say, wow, God is so good. And does it also not encourage you to A, want to live a little bit differently in your life to be like, no, no, I can have that peace too. That's my birthright as a blood bought Christ follower. That's mine too. I can have that. And also, does it make you, I hope it does this, it does for me, make you want to pray for them even more and say, Lord, bless them in the midst of this. Bring healing and deliverance and comfort and keep pouring out your peace. What a life they're living that honors and glorifies you, that they're remaining in your peace and exhibiting it in the midst of hard things. That's what it does for me. And when you see people going through stuff and they don't have peace, do you not just want to share it with them? Do you not just want to pray for them? Pray the peace of God over people. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. So what happened between 14 to 24, these verses, these 10 verses in between? Well, in verse 16, God promised to be with Gideon. That's awesome. There's a promise that we can hang on to because it's your promise too. God promised to be with Gideon. He sure did. And he absolutely was. But you know what? In the New Testament, it says God will never leave you or forsake you in the book of Hebrews. So that's your promise too. Verse 22, Gideon realized he was not talking with just any angel, but with the Lord. There was an offering that Gideon made. And verse 21 says, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed it. An angel cannot accept a sacrifice. It doesn't work that way. Now, fallen angel, a demon might be willing to try and, you know, be like all like Satan and try to get the glory, right? But an actual angel sent from the Lord cannot accept the sacrifice. And this angel, angel of the Lord, L-O-R-D, all in caps, touched the meat and the bread, thus accepting the sacrifice. Okay. So in this, it it seems to indicate a pre-incarnate Christ appearance in this portion of the Bible. And if you've never heard of that before, never looked into it, um, that's something that you might do a Bible study on, a pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. And it's uh, it's super amazing the first time you begin to discover this stuff. I found that when I read the Old Testament, always looking for where was Jesus being like pointed to and where was Jesus being represented and where do we see pre-incarnate Christ appearances? It's amazing. You see Jesus all over the Old Testament and I love it. I absolutely love it because it's just a reminder that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Gideon cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, it seems pretty obvious that, you know, when it says that no man could see the Lord and live, what well, Moses did and the 70 elders did, and here Gideon did. So there are times when the Lord, like, he um, allows them to see, like, a, a pre incarnate Christ, right? A- and still live. But what Gideon is saying here tells us that this really was not just an angel. 
I'm doomed. He thought, man, I'm just going to drop dead. You can't see the Lord and live. The Lord told him that he would not die. And so he didn't. And then Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. And so God gave him peace in the midst of his calling that was beyond him. God gave him peace about seeing the Lord and yet living. And God obviously gave him grace and said, you're not going to die for having seen me. This is a beautiful, beautiful moment in the Old Testament during a time when Israel was severely oppressed by the Midianites. And here to one man, to one man, God comes and says, we're going to, we're going to go this way, but we're going to go this way as you follow my leading and obey. He had deliverance is what I'm saying for the people of Israel, but he wanted Gideon. He came to Gideon. He wanted Gideon to step up and do something that was beyond him because the way that this story plays out, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Now there is a sad end to it where Gideon thought, man, I'm going to take some of this glory for myself. And that is heartbreaking. And it's, it's also a warning. We can walk really well with the Lord and do amazing things that glorify the Lord and, and come from, you know, humble stock, humble beginnings. And we can end like being glory hoggers and thinking about ourselves, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, not being humble and not pointing to the Lord. It's important how you end. How you finish may well matter far more than how you begin or how you live out the middle. How you finish matters. So finish your race well. And I really do mean that. You keep sticking close to the Lord, bowing in humility before him, and, and, and giving, like deferring all glory to him. That's how you finish well. Okay, I have a question for you, though. Is the Lord your peace today? Is the Lord peace for you today? Do you have the peace that Jesus promised in John 14, 27? If so, praise God. And I really mean that. Thank him for it because it's a gift. And what a gift it is. We can face so much and not be moved or shaken. Our cages don't get rattled. Our stress is just right around nil when we are living with the Lord's peace in and on our lives. But this is a big but when we aren't peaceful because we aren't peace filled, I guess you could say we can get super rattled and stressed out and we live under life circumstances instead of being more than conquerors through him who loved us, which is what it says in Romans chapter eight. God is today, this very day, Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom. It is one of the names of God that we find in the Bible, and it really is who he is. The Lord is peace. If you need peace today, peace of mind, peace in your heart, peace in your workplace, peace regarding a prodigal or a health diagnosis or peace in a relationship, peace at all in any fashion, then God has what you need. You know, one thing that I really love about podcasting is the ability to uh, hit the little pause button right there on my phone and take a moment if I need to, right? So I'm listening to a podcast and if I need to take a moment, if I want to jot down some notes, if I want to pause and, and pray about something I just heard, I just hit pause and then I can come back in a second or the next day or whenever. Uh, it's Listen, I can make a note in my phone if I'm out away from home and I don't have a pen and paper to jot something down. Just hitting pause, sometimes to literally pause and pray. If you need to, then if you need to do that, if you're led by the Lord, this can be a good time to pause and pray and ask God to give you the full amount of the peace that Jesus promised to you in the book of John. John 14, 27, Jesus promised you 
If you're a follower of his, if you're his disciple, if you know him, he promised you this peace. You can pause right now, pray and ask him to give you what was promised. Ask him for what you need. I want to encourage you to do that very regularly. And if you need peace, this is a really great time, like the perfect time. Why not now to just pause this podcast and ask for it? I do believe he'll give it to you. I really do. Because it was promised by Jesus. These are words in red. And God keeps a couple of his promises. A few, some, most. How about all? God keeps all of his promises. Peace be unto you. And as I say that, I really do mean it. And I have prayed for that to be your reality. Peace be unto you today in Jesus' name, my friend. All right, we're going to bounce down to verse 34. Judges 6, 34 from the New Living Translation. Sticking with the NLT on this episode. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. Now we see Gideon sort of stepping up and stepping out boldly. There's a boldness on Gideon now. This is very different than verse 14, than even back to, you know, the first few verses of Judges 6, where he's hiding in the wine press, threshing out the wheat, trying to just scrape up enough to have a meal. This is not him hiding. This is the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. This is beautiful, beautiful. You know, sure, Gideon has done some brave things just prior to this verse. He's torn down the altar of the pagan god Baal, and uh, he's earned the disdain of a lot of people, his own people, those who were Israelites and were said to belong to the Lord, but they were upset when their altar to their false god was torn down. Listen, if God calls you to be a dismantler of idols in your culture, in your family, uh, you know, remember, Gideon had to dismantle idols among his own people in his own town. So if God calls you to be a dismantler of idols in your, <clears throat> maybe even in your church, you may not be voted most popular church member. Just saying, just saying, it's the truth. Gideon was not the popular guy at this point, but he was the obedient guy. And what comes in the next few chapters of Judges reveals that God did a great work on behalf of all Israel via Gideon and his army. Now, it ended up being a pretty small army, if you remember, just like a handful of men compared to the number of Midianites they were facing. It's also good to note, you may not have a ton of people in your corner. Maybe that can feel uncomfortable, but it's not abnormal when you're doing kingdom work at the Lord's bidding. So what feels uncomfortable may not be abnormal. If you look at your experience in this moment, or maybe you can reflect on something that happened in the past that kind of left you a little bit befuddled and confused. Maybe you can just kind of hold it up next to this Bible story and realize, oh, maybe uncomfortable isn't abnormal when you're speaking biblically, like when you're looking at it through a kingdom lens with with a Christian worldview and mindset. Maybe there's some comfort for you in some facet of your life, something that's happened or something you're in right now. Listen, it's not abnormal for you to feel uncomfortable and for God to be like showing up in a big way. That's just how he works. The focus has got to be on him. He does not share his glory with another. And so sometimes the, oh, this is difficult. I got very few people around me. This is uncomfortable. I don't know. Yikes, what's going on? It might just be so that he gets all the glory. Just food for thought there. If you think it's it's maybe offensive for me to even dare to hint that there could be idols among church people, I'm bouncing back now to what I said about 
not being voted most popular church member if God calls you to be a dismantler of idols in the church, in your church community. If you think that's offensive for me to even dare to hint at, you know, there are idols among church people. Of course there can be. Of course there can be. Um, among each individual church member and then the church as a whole. Money? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that can be an idol. What about success? Isn't that just the American way? Everybody wants to live the American dream and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, uh, well, is that in the Bible or is this possibly maybe, ooh, uh, success. Yeah, that could be an idol. What about family? Family. In Christian culture, we can make our families idols. Happens all the time. Here's one that's super common. What about your favorite sports team? You've all heard the analogy. You're not going to cheer in church. But um, you're going to go paint your face and stomach and stand out in the freezing cold and cheer your football team like that is does anybody have like a I cannot miss this sports game kind of a thing in their life this team I, I watch them all no matter what it costs even if it means I don't go to my kids game and I miss this certain event that's really important, like there's this retreat coming up and I could go to that, but my team is playing and I've got to go here and I have my little rituals. I wear this and I eat this and I sit in this seat at the place and they know me there. You know, it's like cheers. Everybody knows your name. That could indicate an idol. What about love of just something, some kind of pleasure? Maybe it's relaxation. I play video games or I I watch Netflix for this long after a long week. Or, you know, if there's when you can't do your binge thing, you kind of get hacked off. You might have an idol there. If you can't put down the candy crush, you might have an idol there. A litmus test for me. And I'm just speaking for me. I'm just speaking for me. I'm not at all speaking to or about anyone else. So hear me on that. A litmus test for me would be what I'm about to share with you. And I really do want you to hear that this is not me pulling a teeny tiny sliver out of your eye. And I've got a huge two by four, a tree sticking out of my own. This is for me, my litmus test for my life. If I can't set it aside with total ease. Like if I don't have the peace that we're talking about in this episode from this chapter of Judges, if I don't have uh, my Jehovah Shalom, my Yahweh Shalom peace, my John 14 peace, if I can't set it aside with total ease, set it down and walk away, no matter what it is, then I've got to take that to the Lord in prayer and ask him, what is going on? Because he knows, he knows what's going on. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on. Ask him, is this an idol? Is it on its way to becoming an idol? The only thing I want to not be able to walk away from is my God. I don't want to walk away from Jesus. That's it. Everything else, anything else that pushes in and starts to try and take over the spot that only God can have, that only God deserves, the Jesus place, the Holy Spirit's place in my life. Anything else, it's just got to be dealt with. And that's how I deal with it in my life. And I try to be pretty like vigilant and get after it. I regularly look at things and think, okay, why am I agitated here? This is nonsense. This is nonsense. Like, get rid of that, Jan. Holy Spirit, do a work in me. Uh, Yeah, yikes. And then I just follow the leading of the Lord. You know, Jesus said to cut off your right hand if it causes you to sin. And uh, yeah, Yeah, I think he was pretty serious about dealing with the things that hinder and hamper us. So if there's something that's moving into the Lord's place in my life, trying to encroach, and trust me, we have an enemy 
on the prowl constantly. And if he sees an opportunity, he's going to take it. Satan is an opportunist. Don't forget that. Not for a moment. Please remember that. If he sees an opportunity where he can, oh yeah, I think I'm going to try to squeeze on in here and maybe I can start nudging the Lord out of this believer's life. They won't even recognize it at first. They may not ever really recognize it. If he can move the one true God out and trying to move something else in as an idol for me to focus on. Or if my own flesh does that, doesn't even have to be Satan. Sometimes it's just flat out old me. Uh, if I, where I spend my time and my money and attention, what am I giving too much of myself to? Is that an idol? Are those things idols? I need to be willing to cut that right out of my life, to deal with it so severely with such a willingness to die to self, to have less of me and more of Jesus, as John the Baptist said, I must, must decrease and he must increase. That's what John the Baptist said about him relating to Jesus. That's my own personal litmus test. And the severity with which I deal a death blow to the idols in my life It's far faster and far more thorough and far more complete each time I yield to the Lord's call to do it. Each time I bend the knee and say, Holy Spirit, move in my life. It comes quicker and easier each time. And the reference I gave of Jesus saying to cut off your hand if it causes you to to stumble, that can be found in Matthew 18 and also in, uh, I think in Mark 9, Mark 9, I believe. So in the remaining few verses of Judges chapter 6, we have the well-known story of the fleece or the fleeces because Gideon prayed and asked for a specific answer regarding the fleece two times. So I guess it's fleeces or is it fleece? Is fleece the plural? Somebody can let me know. Once he asked that God would prove him, prove to him that he was going to rescue Israel through Gideon by making a piece of fleece wet in the morning. So he said, Lord, if this really is your call on me, um, you know, it's like he placed the fleece on the dry threshing floor ground. He said, Lord, show me that you really are speaking to me by having the fleece be wet. And it was wet. He could wring it out. It was wet. The second fleece was Gideon praying and asking God to let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it was wet with dew. So, you know, he likely placed it on the ground and uh, left it outside overnight. And then in the morning, It was dry, even though the ground around it was covered with dew. So I've heard different viewpoints on this many different times that I'm not going to get into this. Um, Is it right or wrong? Kind of a lecture here. Like, that's not for, that's not what this is about. Um, It's also not really necessarily my place, I don't think. But I will share that there have been times in my life when I've had to make really big decisions, things that could impact me and impact others in serious ways for the long term, which is kind of what Gideon was dealing with here. And I've asked God to give me the courage and the ability to do what he was calling me to do, not to give into fear and not to give into panic and not to give into peer pressure or anything that wasn't his will. Um, And I've prayed, Lord, please show me clearly and make me brave and bold. And I'm asking to not try to avoid doing what you've said to do. Uh, But I am asking that I want to make sure that I'm in the center of your will. So sometimes when I pray and say, Lord, can you confirm to me that this is your will? It's not because I'm trying to get out of it that I want to pass to not do it. And it's not because I'm questioning the will of the Lord. It's because I just want to make sure that I'm only doing the will of God. I want to stay in the center of his will. You know, Lord, if this is not from you, please tell me, make it clear. And if this is from you, please confirm it. My own thoughts are not what I want to depend on. And my heart is, as Jeremiah said, deceitful above all things. That's pretty deceitful. So Lord, show me plainly and clearly and I'll obey you. 
when other people could be harmed by what I do potentially, if it isn't of the Lord and his hand of favor and protection isn't on me, but also on them, the other people that could be impacted. You know, at times I've asked him to let me know for sure. Is this right or is it wrong? Show me what way to go. Help me to know this is the way. Walk ye in it. Gideon's two fleeces it sort of reminds me of those times in my own life when I prayed. Uh, if you feel that you need an assurance about something, then you get what I'm saying about how I prayed for an assurance. It's the kind of assurance that only God can give. You know, Gideon didn't need man's approval or man's assurance. He needed it from God Almighty, the God Most High, the Lord God of Heaven's armies. If you need that, pray and ask for it. God loves his people so very much. That means you. And we can go to him when we need that assurance that only he is able to provide. And um, as I'm looking at the time on this episode, I went just a few minutes long. So my apologies, but also I hope it has been encouraging to you in, in enough of a manner that you will give me grace for the few minutes I went long. Thank you so much for joining me today as we've continued discovering what God has promised to us in the Bible. And if you're interested, I'm going to share a link in the show notes to the um, Psalm 91 audio course that I've created. It has some bonus material that goes beyond just the audio sessions. And it's right now, it's just seven bucks, seven dollars. I have a little bit longer than I'm going to keep it um, at that price. Actually, I might, I'm not sure I may keep it at that price for an extended amount of time, but I have a thing that it's linked to an event I was part of. And so for sure for probably into mm, the middle or later in September, it'll be $7. That's, it's worth it is all I'm, I'm going to say. Like if you, if you know much about Psalm 91 to be able to just listen to and pray through and then have the bonus content for Psalm 91, that's a, it's a, yeah, it's worth it. Anyway. That's, I guess that's, I always feel awkward. I have a friend I know in the, in the writing and speaking world who's the same way. It feels really awkward about this part of it, like asking for book reviews, or can you leave a review or share the podcast? Or here's something I'm offering for this very reasonable price that I know is worth it um, because it'll encourage you. It could change your life. Like I feel awkward. So thank you for hanging with me in my awkwardness on that. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. And next week, we're going to take a look at the book of Ruth. Okay. The Book of Ruth. Ah, such a powerful story, true story. And it holds for us so much hope. It's nearly like too good to be true, but only nearly, only nearly, because our God will truly overwhelm us with his love and his goodness if we're willing to receive it. So next time, Ruth will be our focus. And I would be really honored if you join me back here on the Burt Not Ernie show for that. I hope to meet with you then and uh, see you later. Have a blessed blessed week, my friend. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.